Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following is a presentation of the Bellip Sports Media Network. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of No Credentials Required, where you don't need a press pass to talk sports. We're presented by Belly Up Sports in association with Godzilla Media. My name is Ryan McCarthy. I'm one of your hosts. And to my right is a man who withdrew from the from the uh, home run derby because he thought it would be unfair to the other players that he was participating. We've got Dustin Henry. Dustin, how are you doing tonight? I did. I had to, you know... I had to withdraw because I've got what we call the knoblock swing. If anybody remembers, you know, I have perfected it. I can, I can uh, knock the ball out of the park with that one. And uh, it would just be totally unfair. Coupled with the uh, physics that I once learned from a George Costanza, simple geometry to hit the ball out of the park. With these weapons, I'm unstoppable. So I had to withdraw here. And also the all wool uniforms. Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do get excited for the home run derby, though. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how you feel about it. I do. I'm. I'm. I'm just kind of like, ooh, the ball goes far. I like. I like <laughs> it. You know, I like it. Now, I, I'm gonna unpopular take. I'm coming out with it right out of the gate. I like it better than the All Star game. I like the home run derby yeah. better than the All Star game. That's what I. That's what I take of the All Star break for baseball. Yeah, I get it. I, I I think I think people look more forward to the home run derby than anything else in this in in uh any of the all-star games, but in any case, we'll talk about that more another time. But another <laughs> but for the meantime, just want to remind everyone about our social media channels, which are right here down below. Twitter, Instagram, and the scarcely used TikTok is at no creds Facebook.com forward slash no creds youtube.com forward slash no creds req and if you're watching right now on either facebook or on youtube we want you to go ahead and hit that like button smash it smash it responsibly we're also on the we're also trying to get to 500 subscribers now that youtube has kind of changed everything with monetization so we're trying to get to 500 subscribers and spread the word 
spread it far, spread it wide. We want to get to 500 subscribers, hopefully very, very soon. And that way we can get ourselves monetized and get ourselves, uh, uh, get some money for this podcast. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be, be really cool. nice. Mm-hmm. It'll be really nice. On the audio side, though, if you want to go ahead and go to uh, subscribe to the podcast on a myriad of podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Spreaker, Google Play, iHeart, tune in wherever you podcast. Subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to our, our podcast. Also, rate and review. Five stars is the preferred rating. Review the podcast. We might even read your review on the air, no matter how uplifting or disgusting it is. <laughs> we will we will read it on the air. And also, since this is a live show on both YouTube and on Facebook, we want you to engage with the show. And I know it's been a couple of weeks since we uh, since we played the sound. I know Dustin, you've been looking forward to it. I got I gotta play that sound. Of course, of course. <laughs> That's right, folks. Again, it's a listener. It's a it's a watch watcher listener engagement engage heavy engagement heavy show. We want you to we want your comments, whether you're watching live or watching on replay. We want your comments. We want you we want you to interact with the show, because that's what makes it so much fun. Oh yeah, yeah, it definitely adds a dynamic to the show. It's always fun to get on here with you, Ryan, and talk. But uh, when the audience joins us, we love it. Absolutely. Absolutely do we do. So, Dustin, uh, it's we we took a week off from broadcasting mostly because of me. <laughs> <laughs> I'll confess, I, I was supposed to watch uh, Moneyball last weekend, didn't happen. Was supposed to watch it Monday, didn't happen. Didn't get till Tuesday. Sent a, t- sent a text message to Dustin saying, um, "Do I wait till next week?" <laughs> <laughs> I haven't watched Moneyball yet. He's he's very unfortunately for Dustin, he's very flexible. But yes. we're going to have our we're going to go through our summer movie review, which is called No Ticket Required. So I'll go ahead and uh, play that delicious bumper. That's right, folks. It's no ticket required. Our summer movie review conti- review continues, and we both decide to sit down on an individual spot, individual uh, abodes, mm-hmm. and watch Moneyball. Uh, Moneyball is based on the the true story. A lot of these, a lot of these, spo- a lot of these sports movies are based on true stories, or relatively uh, based on true stories. Um, this was about the nineteen. Uh, I'm sorry, the 2002 Oakland A's. Uh, with Billy Bean and how they kind of cha- try to change the game of baseball with their philosophy of analytics and mm-hmm. seeing how that seeing how that dynamic worked, uh, Dustin. I want to get your first impressions about this movie. What was your? N- none of us had seen it before we came into yeah. we came into this review, so this is a fresh review for the both of us. Dustin, what was your what were your impressions of this of, of this movie? Well, um, first to start out, I will say uh, someone was in the chat. Um, on the last episode, I'm not sure if it was Snowman. I'm I'm trying to remember. Who it was made probably it. It's probably Chris Dietz from Fifth Down Sports. <laughs> yeah, I'm tr- I'm trying to remember, and they they said that uh, Air may be the the movie of the year, and then they said Moneyball. Oh. Uh, Moneyball was a terrible sports movie, and <laughs> you said at that point, you said you know they tried to say 
We shouldn't have to watch it. And then you said challenge accepted. That's when we cemented. We had our we had our production meeting on air. We said we're watching Moneyball. And so I really tried to not let that paint my perception of the movie. Now, did I think Moneyball was a terrible movie? No, no. I mean, I, especially because I was able to watch it in the comfort of my own home on a streaming platform, yep. um, no points for the new Max app, by the way. I thought it was a little <laughs> clunky on PS5 and also the volume on streaming apps. Get it together. Your audio compression, like you're so much softer than than TV. But uh, that's another topic for I don't know because I don't have another. That's, show. another, that's another rant for another day. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I will say, Air, you know, Moneyball kind of took the same narrative. They want you to root for the underdog. They they are they are putting it right out on Front Street, and I thought that Air was a little a little more subtle touch in painting that, uh, painting that, um, that mood for us. Um, Moneyball puts the numbers right out in front twice within the first 10 minutes. So I was like, all right, I was kind of like, all right, we get it. We get it. We want, we want, uh, to root for the A's. We want We want to see how undermanned they are. We want to see how, how they're fighting an uphill battle all the time. And they've got a cheap owner. Now, um, the other thing, I thought it was just a little bit heavy handed. I'm jumping around a little bit in the timeline of this movie, but Jonah Hill, he is in this movie. He is, uh, he is Pete. He is the main, uh, the main like influence with the stats mm -hmm. and using the analytic approach to baseball and stuff. And Billy Bean kind of comes around on it. Um, and I thought there was a little heavy handedness that as, Jonah Hill's character is walking to walking into the stadium after leaving Cleveland and deciding to come to Oakland. They yep. time it so that the banners are coming down and just hitting yep. the ground. It's like there goes right. there goes Jason Giambi, <laughs> yeah. there goes Donnie Damon, there goes Jason Isringhausen, who they lost yes. in, in free agency in two thousand one. Yeah. Which I had remembered Johnny Damon. I had remembered uh, Jason Giambi, obviously, because as Yankee fans, we know mm -hmm. where he signed. And then mm -hmm. we know why he took the number 25, because 2 plus 5 equals 7. He's a huge Mickey Mantle guy. We get it. But I had completely forgotten about Jason, in, Jason Isringhausen, who was a great closer in his day. That was a name that I, I had forgotten that he was another – acquisition i'm trying to remember if he went to the angels after that or maybe maybe the I, mets i think he went to the mets and oh. then he concluded his career with the st louis cardinals oh okay let me let me check in real time <laughs> all right all right yeah and while you check that i'll, I'll just say Overall, I wasn't disappointed with this. I think if I had watched this movie on its own and hadn't watched air first I probably would have had a better opinion of this movie. For me, it just, after watching Air, to me, it paled in comparison um, for multiple reasons, uh, which I can get into a little later down the line. But I want to get your thoughts on the movie uh, when you are prepared. But just, just, I'm not saying that there weren't some good parts of this movie. Um, but I just thought overall air was the much more, uh, superior film. And I'll say that Ben Affleck's director touch 
was a little less heavy-handed, in my opinion, than than this movie. Okay, so I uh, did the did the background check here. Sorry, the research here. So he started. Isringhausen started his career with the Mets. He was drafted okay. by the Mets originally. He was actually one of their big tri- pitching prospects back in the day. Uh, drafted in the forty fourth round, nineteen ninety one amateur draft, right out of high school, and he went to the Met, played with the Mets. Got traded to. Oh, getting traded to Oakland, and then he signed with St. Louis in 2002, became one of their best closers, and was uh, with them until 2008. Then he went to the Rays, then he went to the Mets, and he concluded his career with the Angels. So you were you were technically right okay. about uh, Isringhausen going to the Angels. This didn't happen until his final season in the Major League. So okay, it, it, what's fascinating about Isringhausen is that he was originally a starter. He was originally pegged to be a starter in, oh, in the, yeah. in the, in the uh, with the Mets. Didn't quite pan out, and then he found his uh, he found his niche in Oakland when he had when he became the, their closer. And in 2000, he actually became he was an All Star, uh, finished with 33 saves. And he actually in 2000 and in 2002 or 2001, he saved 34 games. So mm-hmm. yeah, he's a he was an effective closer, which is probably why he was very coveted as, as a uh, as a as a reliever uh, yeah. in the day and won a, won a world series with St. Louis in 2006. So, so he had a decent career. Uh, John B, I believe he was on the Yankees in 2009 when they won the world series. And we all know Johnny Damon was on the uh, 2004 and 2007 teams with the Boston Red Sox before, you know, yeah. helping help them break the curse. But no, we don't like to talk about it, but um <laughs> You know, I, I took I took Dietz's, uh, Chris Dietz's, uh, um, I wouldn't say advice, but I, was, I had that in the back of my mind. It's a boring movie. It's a boring movie. I wouldn't say it was a boring movie. It was very no. slow moving. Yeah, yeah. And I'm looking at and I'm looking at the time for the movie like two th- two hours and thirteen minutes. How can you fit like a season in two hours and thirteen minutes? And I think part of that was the. Was that really the unnecessary adding of the scenes of Billy Bean as a high school kid was drafted by the Mets? Mm-hmm. Mets wanted to sign him because they thought he would be a great five-tool player, be the future of the team. Unfortunately, it didn't pan out. He actually did wind up winning two World Series with uh, Minnesota and with Oakland in 87 and 89, yeah. respectively. Wound up winning two ring- wings with them, but wasn't really part of their teams. But it was just weird to see... It was just weird to see those flashbacks to when he was a younger player. Yeah, I didn't really think it was necessary, but but again, no. it, could have been, it could have been the fact that he he was this guy who had this chip on his shoulder because of his failed career, and he wanted to make it. And he wanted to prove himself as a GM uh, yes. to the rest of the league, and but not only to the rest of the league, but to himself. Uh, so I think that's I part do. of the. Yeah, I I do. I agree with you. I think I think that's the reasoning behind. Why the director did it? They wanted to, they wanted to paint Billy Bean and and show why he kind of had this drive, you know, to really prove himself in his second chapter of being around the game, and also, you know, maybe to be like, oh, we we maybe also to show that okay, he was also he didn't pan out may have been due to injuries or whatever. Um, the later scenes with him wanting to take a, take a chance on Scott Hatterberg, maybe that was yep. part of it. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. That's probably at least a few of those could have hit the cutting room floor for me. Yeah. 
but I, I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't realize this that uh, um, that uh, oh, gotta say hi to Wise here. So hi, Wise LFH joining us, saying hello, gentlemen. Oh, by the hello way, I got there. Play. Oh, while we're while Wise is here, we gotta play our PSA for him. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta play. We gotta play it. The following is a public service announcement from Wise El Jefe. Boston. This has been a public service announcement from Wise El Jefe. Glad you're here watching Wise. Never gets old. Never gets old. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, I mean I mean I I was pleasantly surprised to see Chris Pratt uh, was the who was playing Scott Hatterberg in the movie. Um it was funny. I was I was I was going through. I was listening to my buddies Levac and Gaz this afternoon. They were talking about the home run derby tonight, and they had talked about the the one the one part of the of the the one thing about the uh, oh gosh my train of thought is derailed. Actors who've played baseball in a movie, mm-hmm. they would rather see them do a home run derby. So I made oh, up a list. Cool. I made up a list of actors who played baseball who could be in the home run derby. So this is who I came up with. Tom Selleck, who was in Mr. Okay. Baseball. Yeah. Tom Selleck actually did play baseball. He oh, I did, did not know baseball. that. Yeah, he was, a, he was an, actually a baseball player. He actually went to spring training with the Detroit Tigers, I think, in the 1970s and actually made a play, couple of plate appearances. So Tom Selleck, Mr. Baseball. And we have Chris Pratt from Moneyball. Mm-hmm. Based on that one scene with with uh, Scott uh, Scott Hatterberg, then I have hologram Bernie Mac from Mister Three Thousand because Mister <laughs> Bernie Mac is no longer with us. Yeah, I have Dennis Haysbert who play who was uh, for Major League. Uh, I have Wesley Snipes for, of Major League fame and the fan mm-hmm. hologram Chadwick Boseman, who again oh, yeah. has left us too soon, and yeah. Frank Thomas who was in Mister Baseball. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm I'm gonna add one. I'm gonna add one because apparently he's a big baseball fan now. In his role that I'm thinking of, actually, I can add two real quick right now. Robert Redford because he was in The Natural. Yes, he was. Yes. All right. So we can we can put him in there. And then if I didn't mention if I didn't mention him, yes, my mom would his probably played, played Jose Serrano in Major League. Oh, yes. Yes, um, my if you my, if you jumbo, I do this myself. <laughs> <laughs> and the second person I'm going to mention, if if I did not mention him, I think my mom would would find a way to come down to me and reprimand me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Her 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 big one of her big crushes, Kevin Costner. He's been in a few yes. baseball movies, and yep. uh, but I'm thinking of him in For Love the Game as Billy Chapel. I know Billy Chapel mm-hmm. is a pitcher, but Yep. I bet you Kevin Costner get in Ooh. there and hit a few, hit a few. Ooh, Wise has one. Benny the Jet Rodriguez. Oh yeah, Benny the Jet Rodriguez, hey. of course. What about uh, wasn't John C. Riley in Bull Durham? No, I no, always those Tim some, Robbins. Yeah, okay, okay. But he was some, a pitcher too, and Kevin Costner was the catcher. Uh, Crash Davis. Oh yeah, that's right. He played Crash See, Davis in Bull Durham. And I, I feel like I always say John C. Riley because somebody in that movie, to my memory, looks like John C. Riley, even though I know it's not. But I'm probably wrong here. This is probably like a classic. This is probably a classic Sam Weich, Frank Wycheck moment. <laughs> <laughs> I could have also said Danny McBride, who, who was an Eastbound and Down, but that's a television show and not movie. So yeah, so, yeah, would have counted it. Would have counted it. But going back to Moneyball. Um, mm-hmm. 
because we lost because the show up when we went off the rails a little bit. But um, <laughs> but with Moneyball, it, it was it was a bit slow moving for me. The the, yes. the, the scenes with Buddy, Billy Bean as a kid was were kind of unnecessary, and to see what, what his career was about were unnecessary. But it was just interesting to see um, how. Moneyball came to be like we kind of know the backstory about Moneyball and how mm-hmm. the, they had to find they had to find basically three guys to replace one person in Jason Giambi. Oh, how we do it? Oh, we just uh, and spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't seen it, by the way. But everybody knows this. But this is based on a true story, so I'm pretty sure everybody has yeah. not everybody, but people have watched the movie or they've read the book, which is bit which is the move, which is what the movie is based off of. But it was interesting to see that you're replacing one guy. With an with the with the on base percentage, okay. How are you going to replace? How are you going to replace uh, Jason Jabi? We'll do it with three guys, and we'll basically pay, take the average of their uh, take the three players, and we're gonna divide. We're gonna add up their on base percentage. We're gonna divide it by three, and bam! There's your there's your uh, there's your replacement for Jason Jabi. Okay, and then we had the the methodology of Peter Brand saying, okay, yeah, that, that's my favorite all-time player is Kevin Nicholas because he generates so many walks. Yeah. <laughs> and they could have gotten Kevin Nicholas, but he did not go to, I don't think he went to, I don't think he went to the Oakland, but um, oh. they picked up uh, the pitcher who had the weird arm angle. He was throwing kind of submarine ish. Uh, they picked up Jeremy Giambi. We wound up going, he wound up being traded. Uh, they, they traded yes. Nelson. They went wound up trading their best rookie Pena to the Tigers for basically a bucket of balls and, from so, three years worth of soda. Yeah, because they wanted to, and this grated on me every time. Justice they wanted, wanted to, free soda in the locker room. They wanted to put, well, yes, I was going to get into that, but they wanted, they traded Pena because they wanted to put quote unquote Hattie at third base. Every time yeah. they said Hattie, it drove me crazy. And let me say, it was nice to see Philip Seymour Hoffman in this movie, the dearly yeah. departed Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm. But this was not his best role as our pal. I, <laughs> I, I, I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I adored Philip Seymour Hoffman as an actor. Um, he, he is another actor for me, kind of like Paul Giamatti. If Paul Giamatti's in a movie, he makes it better. Yeah. I felt the same way about Philip Seymour Hoffman, my one of my favorite roles he did when he was Lester Bangs in Almost Famous. Yeah. I, I loved him in that role. But I just there were there were things that this movie was trying to do that I just didn't it just didn't jive with me, especially after watching Air. I think I think the fact yeah. that we both liked Air so much may have hurt this movie. Um yeah. in I, our I, a little viewings. bit. It, and, it, it didn't give us it didn't give us the nostalgic uh, uh, jimmies that uh, we had with air with the music soundtrack yeah. and it just had its own original music. I mean, the one thing the, I will say the one thing I liked with the uh, with this movie about Billy Bean about uh, Brad Pitt being Billy Bean was that him capturing the uh, the anger about hating losing yeah, <laughs> every yeah. so often he, because he didn't put because our how didn't put Scott Hatterberg in the lineup or somebody or they're playing jams because. After, after a loss, trying to entertain themselves, yes. he's flipping over, he's flipping over desks, he's throwing, mm-hmm. he's smashing the, the radio. I mean, it's great to see Brad Pitt bring up that passion of hating to lose yeah. rather than loving to win. Which one do you like doing? Which one 
is which which one are you more passionate about? Are you more passionate about not losing or are you more passionate about winning? And it just seemed like Billy Bean was passionate more passionate about not losing mm-hmm. than winning, which kind of drove which kind of dro- which kind of drove the A's. They had that big had that 20 plus game winning streak in 2000 2002 which broke the American League record. Yeah. I I was and I was throughout there there's a couple moments in this movie where you're like, okay, Brad Pitt He's not carrying this movie because I don't think the source material is is enough for Brad Pitt's a talented actor. I know people have um, their feelings about Brad Pitt. I myself think he's a talented actor. Uh, I was very happy to see that he kept his uh, he kept his tradition of always eating in a lot of his scenes. <laughs> um, Brad Pitt. It's a thing he does. Look it's it true. Up. It's true. He He did it. He did it in Ocean's Eleven like a madman. Yep. All of did them. It, he also oh. did it in uh, uh, A River Runs Through It. Yep. He's always eating. I don't know if yep. it helps relax him. I don't know what it does, but he that man likes to eat. But anyway, so it's, it's, I was. It's, it's it's a tradition. It's like the Masters. It's tradition. Tradition like unlike yeah, any other. Yes. <laughs> yes. So I was happy about that. And also there were a couple scenes where I'm like, okay, like, like you're talking about, he did do a good job of encapsulating um, Billy Bean's rage, you know, probably Mm -hmm. about his career and the way everything panned out. And then the situation he was in Oakland, there's the scenes where he's pleading for more money and the owner just says, no, we're not, we're not going to give you more money. I'm charging a dollar for a Coke here in Oakland. But, but, uh, yeah, and even Justice complaining about that. It's like, come on, you're yeah. making three. They're paying. You're getting paid seven million dollars, and you're complaining yeah. about not having free Pepsi in the locker room. Come yeah. on. Yeah, but there were. There I, was, I, would, I I gotta wonder if that's the true story. I got. I gotta yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Because that's that's where this movie. This movie had a couple of scenes. The one where he's talking to his scouting department. Billy Bean is Brad Pitt. He's talking to his scouting department, and. uh and he's he's kind of taking them to task because those guys. I mean, I I could understand why those guys are getting defensive. They've done a job a certain way for a lot of years. They got a lot of experience, and Brad Pitt's kind of dressing them down. And I forget what the context of the line is, but he says, "Does anybody else have the answer, or else I'm going to point at Pete?" And he just, <laughs> you know, there's the times where he's just pointing at Pete. Oh, you're and, talking. Uh, you're, and, talk, and, you're talking to me. <laughs> and Jonah, Jonah Hill just says he gets on base. You know that was the, that was the yeah. answer. And he says, if you, the don't answer. Have, "If you don't have the answer, I'm going to point at Pete." So there were there were Brad Pitt did have his moments throughout this movie. But let me ask you, and I feel like I'm monopolizing things. So I, so I'll uh, no no you're dude you're fine you're no this is a this but is a, uh, this is a, uh, it's a equal partnership with turn in terms of talking here. <laughs> the, the scene that felt so hollow to me was the trade scene when Brad Pitt's in there and they're trying to, they're trying to make that Pena trade work. And they were trying to get, I forget, they ended up settling on a pitcher, but it's like he's calling and he's hanging up and then he's telling me, okay, the value, the value for such and such is dropping because you know, they're like, we know San Francisco's after them. And I, I'm sure there's some of that. But to me, that that rang hollow as probably um, unrealistic, you know, like just taking it a step too far, like the scene. And then they're 
they're high-fiving each other as they're as they're hanging up on one person to get the other person on the phone and the trade like the guy plays right into Billy Bean's hands. I'm not so sure that it went down like that. Have you ever seen the football movie Draft Day? Another Kevin Costner no, movie. Not a, not a great movie. Have you seen it? I mean, it, it's not I great. Haven't. But there's a okay. I'm gonna spoil one small thing, and I'm gonna use one my my one small uh, swear word in the beginning of this. In the beginning of this movie, Kevin Costner he runs the Browns in that movie. He's on the phone with the Seahawks, and the Seahawks fleece him because they know they got him over the over both barrels. And later in the movie, Kevin Costner then calls the Seahawks back, and he says. I want all my pa- I want all my picks back, you pancake eating motherfucker. <laughs> I, <laughs> I doubt that that has ever happened. And it just this scene with Brad Pitt and Jonah Hill trying to make this deal, it just rang like that to me. Mm-hmm. In the it, it rang as incredibly untrue. I don't know how you felt about it, but for me, it was a bridge too far. Uh, it it kind of gave me the kind of gave me the idea of what goes on in the back rooms of uh, GMs during trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, according to baseball reference, I'm looking at Carlos Pena's, uh, Carlos Pena's uh, career statistics here. So he was traded on July 5th, 2002 as part of a three team trade by the Oakland athletics with a player to be named later and Franklin Herman to the Detroit Tigers, the New York Yankees, which is involved in this is a three team trade. So the New mm-hmm. York Yankees sent Jason Arnold, John Lloyd Griffin and Ted Lilly, Ted Lilly, remember that? Oh, name? I remember Ted to Lilly, the yeah. to the Oakland A's. The Detroit Tigers sent Jeff Weaver. Remember that name? Oh yeah, the New York Yankees. <laughs> the Detroit Tigers sent Cash to the Oakland Athletics, and then the Oakland Athletics sent Jeremy Bonderman to the Detroit Tigers on August twenty second, two thousand two, which was considered future, which was the future considerations mm-hmm. uh, to complete the trade. So the so the A's got Ted Lilly. And John Ford Griffin and a minor leaguer. They also got cash for uh, for uh, Carlos Pena and Franklin Herman. Yeah, yeah. So I'm not a hundred percent sure because I swore there were. You know, it's it's been a little while since I watched it now, but I remember they were talking about oh San Francisco's interested in the guy. So I mean, I did like seeing that extra special glimpse, but I I feel like it, it just was maybe a little unrealistic. But like you said, they're just trying to paint an idea of what happens. Ricardo Rincon. That's who it was, yeah. We That's like who Rincon. it was. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And I'm looking I'm gonna look at Ricardo Rincon's uh trade uh trade history here. And he was traded he was traded to Oakland for Marshall McDougal. <laughs> so he wound up be he wound up becoming a he wound up getting the guy from uh, from yeah. uh, Shapiro from yeah. uh, who was the GM of the of the uh, Indians now Guardians at the time. So yes, you know, I mean I, to wrap things up, just kind of conclude this this segment. Moneyball was an interesting movie. I thought some things dragged a little longer. Brad Pitt is an excellent actor, as we all know. Jonah Hill, great supporting cast. Yeah. Um, he was who I rooted for in this movie. Yeah, uh, you rooted for the him. guy who was kind of the underdog, and he kind of. The, I, w- I would say that more than anyone in the movie that was the underdog role besides the ace, it was not Billy Bean. Mm. It was Peter Bond. It was Peter Brand. Yeah, yeah, because you wanted, 
And I mean, we all know how it turned out. That's why the movie's being made. But still, you're like, oh, man, I hope this works out. And I also, you know, even though he's a former Red Sox, I was rooting for Scott Hadabert, you know, you want, <laughs> but, but, uh, <laughs> but I will say this, this movie had one cameo I did not expect. It was nice to see Joe Satriani playing the uh, national anthem on opening day for the, <laughs> for that 2000, what was it, 2002 season? 2002, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was nice to see if, if, if nobody has looked up the guitar stylings of Joe Satriani, go and check them out after Do the it. show. Download the song Day at the Beach. It's one of the best two finger tapping songs. I love that song. That and well, also Friends. Friends yeah. is a great song too. <laughs> mm-hmm. That was the one that, that was the song that got me into them. All right. So we're gonna take a quick commercial break. We come back, we're gonna do we're gonna start a new segment called The Lists, but in the meantime, uh, we'll be right back. You're watching or listening to No Credentials Required. This episode of No Credentials Required is brought to you by Invader Coffee. For the coffee lover who wants good, quality coffee with no bullshit and no filler, Invader Coffee is an ultra-premium, veteran-owned coffee company proudly delivering only the best coffee your hard-earned money can buy. They aim to only serve the highest quality organic air-roasted coffee beans sourced from free trade farms all over the world. They keep things simple. The best coffee at an affordable price in order to provide you with the value you deserve for your morning boost. 100% fair trade, 100% organic coffee beans, 100% air roasted, 100% money back guarantee. Visit invadercoffee.com, enter promo code BELLYUP at checkout, and receive 15% off your order. That's right, folks. Invader Coffee. For the best coffee your money can buy, go to our affiliate link in the description on youtube and on facebook also if you're watching the podcast listen watch click on that link or copy that link put it in your browser help the show it's an affiliate link link help the show also get 15 percent off your order with promo code belly up uh, you can I, I gotta order some more coffee myself so it's about that time i gotta go with myself a big uh, a new bag of coffee also gotta get myself a uh a new new set of curry cups because i nice have like to have a little little blood boost in the afternoon mid-morning or afternoon uh for for uh, uh just for myself but uh but yeah invader coffee dustin i know you and you've been enjoying the invader coffee are you still uh, working on the donut dealer or are you uh are you i still that? i still have some donut dealer left i'm getting low so i might have to re-up i also have well the donut the... dealer is currently sold out unfortunately oh so. no oh yeah no. but they have plenty of other blends they yeah. have plenty of other blends to choose from, though. They do, they do, and I still have. Um, I always have the Invader. Um, I I don't know what to call it, but the the main Invader blend, you know, the Invader yeah, coffee. the OG, the yeah. OG. Yeah, yeah, the Trailblazer. I always have some of that on hand. So, but you are right. I'm in the same position as you. I've got to get some new coffee uh, because I am down to a little bit of the Donut Dealer and the. Uh, OG blend. So I yeah. gotta re up myself. Yeah, they got plenty of great blends, such as the Wake the Bones, which is a nice uh, little uh, medium dark blend. They've got uh, Break in Case of an Emergency, Breaking Case of, of Emergency blend, which is pretty fun, which is pretty great. Uh, they have another blend I haven't tried yet, uh, the War Horse Bacon Bourbon Coffee Blend. I That's saw an that interesting one. <laughs> I, I went to get it. I went to get it, but by the time I had gone around, I think they, I think they were out of it. But it sounds like it's back in stock. But I don't know if I want to pull the trigger. You know, sometimes bacon's one of my favorite things coffee's one of my favorite things and bourbon is one of my favorite things but sometimes yeah. sometimes when you put them together 
I don't know how the marriage is going to go, but if anybody can figure out figure it out, it's Invader. So maybe it, I'll it's give not a so shot. much of a it's not so much of a uh, a, a marriage, but a thruple. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, and they're all very strong flavors. So it'll they be are very strong to see flavors, who wins out. I'm going bourbon. That's for uh, sure. But but yeah, visit our visit the affiliate link. Help the show out. Buy some coffee. Get fifteen percent off and get fifteen percent off your order with the promo code Belly Up. You won't be disappointed. You have, and because it has the no credentials required seal of approval. No, I will not make the noise. Yeah, that's that still one of my huge. favorite moments in the history of the show. <laughs> I mean, we've had a lot of them. I mean, I, the, the onesie episode was great. The ranking of the Thanksgiving sides, I love that. Having, uh, you know, all of the guest episodes, I loved having Wise on, loved having yep. Snowman on, Brian have, Cage. Those guys back. Yep. The list goes on and on, but uh, that that might, that's still, that's going to be top 10 moments of the show for me for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of list, Dustin, we got ourselves a new segment called, appropriately enough, The List. Perfect. You just made the list! Oh my gosh. That dude was aggressive. I like it. That's Chris Jericho. <laughs> oh man, I did not recognize it. Yeah, that's Chris. Oh, that's Chris man. Jericho from like 2016 2017 <laughs> WWE. Oh man, uh, he is so, he is a legend now. He one. is the goat. He is the goat. Um, but yeah, no, we've we've got our new segment called the list, and I figure we could do some. We, since this is a summer, this is kind of a time where we, again we don't really cover baseball on this podcast. We're more of a football podcast. Uh, NFL starting training camps are starting up. Hip hip hooray! Yeah, uh, that starts up pretty soon. But we're gonna do some di- something different in the summer. And one of the things we're gonna do uh, is is called the list, and we're gonna list. This week, uh, we're going to do our five greatest athletes to never play for our teams. And this was based off of an episode I just did with the Corner Booth pregame, the Corner Booth podcast with my, my buddy Jared and uh, his co-host Matt. I, I filled in last week for uh, for their for their host uh, other host Mason, who was in Europe, and I'm pretty sure he was in those France riots. But oh, um, we, I'm, I'm just kidding about that. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, you got me. You got me. Good. <laughs> <laughs> just like the way you said it like so long ago. <laughs> i fell right into your trap oh that was inappropriate but i was warranted for it no but we did a we did an epi- jared came up with the five greatest athletes to never play for our teams i figured we'd carry over to this episode i i revealed my five on corner booth but i figured i'd come back to it and reveal my five uh, on this week's episode, but I'm going to have Dustin start off with his first athlete. So Dustin, who is the first athlete on your list to never play for your favorite teams? Okay. So these aren't in any particular order. When you first asked me this question, I just started writing the names and I will say I shocked myself with the first name, but it was the first name that came to mind. Maybe it was because we watched Moneyball and I got that era's baseball on the mind. I, I would have loved to seen, and it would have been an embarrassment of riches. I get that. So nobody mm. come at me on Twitter and say, but you were a <laughs> Yankees fan. Oh, don't worry. I've got one for the Yankees too. But. I would have loved to see Ken Griffey Jr. suit up for the New York Yankees. Uh, actually, now, that, was funny. that was one name that came up on, in, on the uh, corner booth. That was but, one name that came up. Because, And I will say, now, I got to caveat this. My relationship – with Ken Griffey Jr. has changed over the years. When he was playing the game, 
I, I actively despised him. I thought he was arrogant. I thought he was, you know, I just didn't. It was one of those things where I was younger. I was a little bit like old fashioned. I didn't like the fact that he wore that, the, the hat backwards at the home run derby. Like I, I was like a curmudgeon for my age. I was like, Hey, I don't, I don't like this, but it also snappers with that backwards hat. And it, and it could have stemmed from the fact that he was my first live Yankees game ever. They played the Mariners and it was Mm. the season where Griffey, at the time, Griffey was um, he was up there with McGuire and Sosa for the home run chase, and then those mm-hmm. two distanced themselves. But Griffey still finished the year, I think, with fifty four home runs, if I'm not mistaken. So he he had a great year, but um, the Mariners beat the Yankees thirteen to two that day. So maybe I held a grudge. Maybe <laughs> I held against Ken Griffey Jr. But I'm going to say, as I got older. I began to appreciate his swing more. He had the smoothest swing. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's textbook. And the fact, stick with me here, the fact that his body broke down to me was like, okay, Griffey did this legitimately because he's getting injured. And the rest of these guys that did whatever they did during the long ball era, uh, they didn't break down like he did. He broke down eight and I, and I had more respect for him. And also when I heard his reasoning one time for taking the contract to go play for the Reds, yes, they offered him a lot of money. But when he talked about, you know, his father played for that team and, and everything that he kind of he kind of wanted to he kind of wanted to repair the relationship between Cincinnati and his father. I could be I could be wrong about this, but there were other reasons why he went to Cincinnati. Um, mm-hmm. My respect for Ken Griffey Jr. grew as I got older. I would have loved to see him uh, patrolling the outfield in pinstripes at Yankee Stadium. There's one. There's he. There, he also said he would. The thing is, though, with Ken Griffey Jr., I remember him saying that the reason why I wasn't a big fan of his was because he said he would never ever play for the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. Reason why because when his dad played in New York, Billy Martin did not allow kids in the clubhouse. Yes. And he always yeah. held that against the Yankees. Not not Billy Martin specifically, but the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. So whenever he played against the Yankees, that's when he seemed to have his best games, especially as a Mariner. Oh, yeah. Kill, kill as a Mariner, team. he crushed us. I mean, oh. come on. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I would have loved – so who – who is uh, first on your list? And by the way, yeah. shouts to Jared for coming up with this idea. Yeah, this is a great idea. So shout out to Jared on this one. Um, so the first athlete on my list, and this is, this is again, this is not a ranked list. This is just a list we're putting together. Uh, the first one on my list was Tony Gwynn as a New Ooh. York Yankee. Oh, my God. He's one of my favorite players. I can't Mine believe too. I didn't write him down. Mine too. Mine too. He, wow. I, I remember when I was in high school, I had the poster on my wall of him uh, with the hitting the hitting machine as the hitting machine and it had the mechanics of this swing and I, I tried I tried to model his my swing against, like him because I wasn't a lefty but I loved his playing style he was just always seemed to get on base with a hit had one of the almost had a four he was going for the 400 average in 1994 before yes uh, unfortunately the uh, the strike ended the season. I but think he finished at 394 393 or three yeah three no 393 because I remember there's a beer in San Diego that had 393 pale ale. 
Yes. And it had the and it had the Padres old colors, the brown and the orange mm-hmm. and the yellow, which is so cool. I don't know if they still make that beer anymore, but I want to find out if they do. Yeah, and, I don't. And, and and they said that a portion of that beer went to the Tony Gwynn Foundation. Yes, yes, because a little bit, a little bit inside baseball, pun intended. I was trying to find that beer, especially during COVID, because I was like, "There's nothing, you know, there's nothing to do." But they were they were shut down. I tried to order it online. Um, the brewery, if memory serves, is based in San Diego, so I was trying yes. to order it online. It, and you are right. It's three. It was three ninety four. Okay. I was wrong. I but uh, oh, it's a very rare occurrence on the show, you know. No. But <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I'm almost never right. But uh, but anyway, I was able to find the beer at uh, Colony Star Beverage here in New York. They had it, and it was a little dusty, so I don't know how old it was. But I gladly I took it off the shelf, six pack, tried it. Good beer. I would have it again. Beer. Mm-hmm. I would have me again. too me too hopefully i can find it somewhere i think i'm i think i found it i think i found my 394 pale ale at uh glenville beverage I think oh, that's nice. where i found it yeah i traveled far and wide to get some beer and drink glenville beverage happy happened to have it so but yeah tony gwynn having playing in new york is the number 19 the pinstripes he i he, he was been to the world series twice and unfortunately lost both times yeah. uh but if he went to the Yankees, he would have, yeah, I think he would have won multiple World Series. Oh, and being a left-handed hitter with that short porch in right field, I know he wasn't a big home run hitter. He, he, I think, he, I don't think he even eclipsed 200 home runs for his career. Yeah, but I don't know. he, but his hitting style, the way he got on base, he wasn't the fastest runner, but he knew how to. He just first, I just knew how to get it. He just always got on base, got a hit, and. It's a shame that he, I mean, good. I mean, really cool that he spent his entire career as a San Diego Padre. It's, it's really cool to see that, that on the stat sheet. You don't really see that anymore where you see a player play his entire career with one team. Mm-hmm. But if Tony Gwynn were to go somewhere and he would have been a superstar, uh, it would have been New York. Would have been in, with New York with the New York Yankees. And it's. Uh, I wish I would have had him on on uh, on our Yankees. That would have oh, been man. such a but so much fun to watch. I mean, it was great. We had Ichiro for a couple seasons. Yes. Because I watched him. I, guess, I think I saw his first game in New York when he was traded from the Mariners to the Yankees mm-hmm. um, back in 2012, if I can remember correctly. But I remember him, I remember him hitting a home run that day because um, I, I got free tickets from uh, Hess, what used to be Hess Gas Mark, guess, oh, uh, Hess wow. Gas. Okay. And you, what you would do is that you would fill up your tank X amount of times. And you get two free tickets to a Yankee game. So I got to see the Yankees and the, I think it was the Orioles. And it was the first game of Ichiro playing uh, in a Yankees uniform. And he hit a home run that day. So, wow. but it would have been fun to see Tony Gwynn in a Yankees uniform, um, just spraying the ball everywhere, try, maybe get a home run every oh, once in a yeah. while with the short porch. Legend. Legend yeah. Sports. I mean, because you are, you are on the button. He did not eclipse 200 home runs for his career. According to baseball reference, do you want to take a guess at the number of career home runs Tony Gwynn had? I I want to say 198. Okay, he a little high. I was shocked to see this number. 135. Oh my. 135, which is why I'm like, I don't know, but it says career right here. His wins above replacement percentage though, 69.2. 
or his number of wins above replacement, 69.2. That's pretty good. His batting, his career batting average. This is where the man earned all earned his money. Mm -hmm. And why he's one of the greatest players. His career batting average is 338. <laughs> yep. That's that's something special right there. That's what made him that's what made him a great uh the grace arguably the grace hitter of our generation. Yeah. Period. I, not I, home I, run, not a sl not slugger, but hitter. I would say, and just as a you know, sometimes it pulls you because uh, a few years ago, my sister and I decided to do the Bourbon Trail down in Louisville, Kentucky. Well, sections of the Bourbon Trail. We didn't do the mm -hmm. whole thing. But as part of it, I said, hey, I want to go to the Louisville Slugger Bat Museum. And it was a great it was a great stop on the trip. I'd recommend that you go there if you're ever in Louisville. But they had you – could, you could hold bats that were game used by certain players. And people would think because I'm a Yankee fan, I'm going to hold Derek Jeter's bat. I'm going to hold somebody else's. There is a picture of me holding Tony Gwynn's bat. As soon as I saw that Tony Gwynn's bat was there, I went and I grabbed it. It was just like the first one that I grabbed. I was like, I got to hold this bat, you know, and I did not. I, I ended up holding Jeter's bat later and, and some other players, but Tony Gwynn's bat was the first one I went for. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, it's going to be, it's definitely going to be the, uh, definitely going to be my first bat if I ever go to the, if I ever go to the, uh, louisville slugger museum that's for sure that's for yeah. sure all right so i'm gonna go with the second i'm gonna go yeah. next with my second greatest athlete to never play for my team um i'm a low-key soccer fan <clears throat> and i was a new york red bull supporter for the 2016 season i know dustin and i we dustin we i took i took dustin to a game when yeah. he played his seattle sounders yeah uh F the timbers <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> um, we went to a game where, where we heard the greatest radio call of all time. Oh home. yeah, the brown and the black from the <laughs> But if there's one soccer player I would have loved to have on the New York Red Bulls, because if he would have won the MLS Cup with them, he would have been part of the New York pantheon of soccer gods. G-A-W-D-S, along with Pele, Franz Beckenbauer, all those guys from New York Cosmos, David Beckham. Ooh. David Beckham, I would have loved to have David Beckham as a New York Red Bull. I understand he went to the Los, Los, Los Angeles Galaxy. It's, there's a reason for it. Yeah. Made plenty of reasons to go, but basically because of the Hollywood connections he had and whatnot, but I, I get it, but I think I think his career would have been a lot different if he had joined the New York Red Bulls as opposed to the LA Galaxy, and I think I think he would have won a couple of cups with them, um, which is you know it's I mean I, I know that the Red Bulls have their share of stars. You had Thierry Henry on their team for a couple of seasons. That was with, mm -hmm. that that's what that whole thing between Beckham and Henry. You saw a lot of the former European stars come to the MLS to conclude their career. I mean, look at the uh, Lionel Messi. He's playing in Inter. He's playing with Inter Miami right now, mm -hmm. and wherever he's going, they're selling out. They're selling out tickets there. So it's great to have those former European stars who are kind of who are kind of sunsetting their career here in the United States. I would have liked to have David Beckham as part of the New York Red Bulls. It would have been really fun to see. Oh yeah, Dustin, who's your next athlete? My next athlete. Here we go, and I feel like it's it's obligatory at this point. 
I know it would have never happened. And honestly, it would have looked really weird. And I don't know if it would have helped in the nineties, but I'd love to see Michael Jordan suit up for the Mavs. I mean, that, that, that would have been, <laughs> Interesting. Cool. you know, I just, I, I was like, he's, he's the greatest by a lot of people's measure. He is the greatest basketball player of all time. And uh, it would have been great to have him in Dallas because maybe they wouldn't have been so futile uh, back in the day. But um, I don't really have much to say about MJ and I'm not, and I'm not talking wizards MJ either. Although no. at that point I, I probably would have taken wizards MJ because he, <laughs> see, he had, he had some moments with the wizards. People forget about it, uh, but yeah. he wasn't, he was not to come back at his age and play at the level that he did. Yes, it wasn't vintage Jordan, but it was still impressive, at least yeah. in my mind. At least in yeah. my mind. In the nineties, the nineties Mavs would have had you had Jason Kidd, yeah, Jamal Mashburn, uh, Jackson. Uh, I'm trying to remember his first name. Oh yeah, was it Jamal Jim ja- Jackson? Jim, ja- Jim Jackson. Oh okay, yeah, yeah. Because they have Michael Mashburn. Jordan. Yeah, I mean that would have been that would have been ridiculous. I mean, no disrespect to Michael Finley, but uh, I'll take another Michael, please. <laughs> but, but but yeah it would have been it would have been amazing i don't, I don't really have much much else to add but i feel yeah. like michael jordan had to make the list yeah and i, I remember the three jays playing there was so much dysfunction they were so oh, yeah. talented together they were so great together on the court but off the court they were a oh, dumpster yeah. fire yeah it was terrible. so much drama behind the scenes it was well insane. and i still remember oh. the jason kid and i know he's coaching now and i know he went on to have the career that he had and and I'll love him because he was part of that Mavs team that finally got over the hump. But uh, he was real. They interviewed him after he got drafted, and he was like, oh, yeah. And I think I've mentioned this on the on the show before, but I find it so humorous. Here it is again. He was like, oh, yeah, we're going we're gonna to turn this franchise around. We're going to take it a complete 360 degrees. Well, James- <laughs> If you take it a three, a complete three hundred and sixty degrees, you end up right back where you started. So athletes are not exactly the smartest people in the world. I don't know what to tell you. All right, why don't you go ahead for the next athlete? All right. So, in keeping with the '90s NBA theme here, this one I have a little bit more to say about because this man went on to be perhaps one of the most dominant players at his position, but I'm talking a very specific version of this next player. And it's partially because Dallas never had a center. They were always looking for one. They had Sean Bradley. They signed. I know where you're going. They, they, they signed Eric Dampier to a big contract. Always looking for a center. I remember people were excited about Brandon Haywood. No disrespect, but 90s Shaq, like yep. I'm talking Orlando Magic Shaq, mm-hmm. where he was not only was he Shaq, but he could run like a gazelle. Go back and watch some of the early 90s footage of Shaq on the Orlando Magic. I would love to see him on the Mavs. He would have crushed. And then just imagine now, imagine this is already a crazy world, but imagine that Cuban. Well, I'm trying to remember when Cuban bought the team. But imagine Dallas ownership shells out enough money to keep Shaq so that he doesn't leave. He doesn't go from Orlando to or- to L.A. or, in my scenario, from Dallas to L.A. 
and yet, and then he and then he would get Dirk a few years later. I mean, they could have done some serious damage. Yeah, Mark Cuban did not buy the Mavericks until two thousand. Yeah, yeah. So I knew. I'm I'm trying to remember who the well. When did Shaq leave for the Lakers? Was it all one? Shaq left. Um, no, it was a few. Oh years yeah, it was like ninety. It was it was in the, it was in the mid nineties. Yeah, 90s, that's right. Or ninety seven or ninety eight because it was after his rookie his rookie contract had ended. Yes, that's right. And it, because I remember they said, oh, we got, you know, they put together Orlando, put together the offer for him and went out and, and flew it to uh, Amato, Chuck's agent or uh, Shaq's agent. And he said, uh, and the, the guy from the magic was like, they're like, oh, this is very nice. You know, thank you. I'll get it to him. And uh, the guy from the magic said, I just told him it's finished, isn't it? We lost him, you know, and, and uh, man, that was another great you should watch that 30 for 30 this magic moment oh i've, I've watched That's it i've watched one. it a couple of times and, and yeah. i remember him saying yeah i should have never left for uh i should have never have left orlando and i mm-hmm. think what's happened with the orlando magic since then oh they, yeah especially especially these days i mean oh my gosh what a tragic story what a franchise tragic story that was i mean mm-hmm. yeah no. i mean they had dwight howard who was yeah. I, I wouldn't say he was generational he I remember i mean, he had this quote this past weekend or last week sometime last week about him uh he he said oh i would have i would have taken uh Nik- nikola jokic to school i'm like no you wouldn't oh yeah you had yeah. one tool you had <laughs> one tool in your arsenal that was slam dunking that yeah. was it yeah was and, it. He, and he said he's the thing was he said and and uh defensively dwight howard was very good in his prime as well yeah in but, his prime. but but yeah, exactly. Even his own quote undermines him because he said, oh, Jokic is doing this with threes. I did all this with twos. And I'm like, you just low-key alluded to the fact that you couldn't shoot the ball exactly. for anything. <laughs> no. <laughs> and Jokic and, can, so and there what's you go. Inter- and what's interesting about Howard, he has the, he had the same trajectory at, career trajectory as Shaq. Yeah. As soon as, uh, you know, as soon as he... As soon as his time as Orlando was up, he went to the, he got traded to the Lakers, and unfortunately, he, you know, he kind of yeah. his career kind of crashed crash landed after that because he played with Kobe, and Kobe was Kobe was the alpha male of that team, mm-hmm. and no, whatever he said went. But yeah, yeah. All right, so my third athlete to never play for our teams, and this is not so much a team, but the U a, a league or the uh, organization, the UFC. Okay. Gina Carano. Oh, you know from the Mandalorian, who you know mm-hmm. from the Fast and Furious series. Uh, if you're a Daily Wire subscriber, Terror on the Prairie. Uh, she's also in Deadpool, uh, the first Deadpool movie. She still actually still has four fights on her contract when Strike when she was with Strike Force and Strike Force was bought out by the UFC. She still has four fights left on that contract. Unfortunately, she's not fighting anymore. She's mm-hmm. 42 she's she's in her mid or early 40s. Um I mean, I've seen fighters come back in their 40s like Randy Couture. Yeah. He was in his 40s when he won when he won a title. Um but I would have loved to see Gina Carano in the UFC. And again, I will fully admit one of my women crushes yeah, yeah. <laughs> is Gina Carano. Um, but I think Dana White would have done such a great job marketing her oh, as sure. like the superior female fighter in that league. I mean, yeah, you have Ronda Rousey in the UFC. You had Amanda Nunez who just concluded her career. She retired mm-hmm. as a champion. 
-hmm. But Gina Carano in the UFC would have been something to see because I think she would have. I think what Ronda, Ronda Rousey did elevate the women's division, but I think having her in a rivalry with Gina Carano would have astronomically lifted that uh, that that division in, in in the women that the women's division. Period. Yeah, yeah, it would have been interesting to see because she was. She was a huge attraction for multiple reasons, and she had star power yes. in, in a time where the UFC wasn't exactly mainstream yet. It was on its way. It was on its way, mm -hmm. but I think it was like – I would say just before it really broke, just before the reality shows on, on Spike TV and everything really pushed it in to, to more of a household uh, household name and stuff. But, yeah, that would have been interesting to see, I think. Yeah, and and the fact that I mean we talked about I think the women's division yeah the, I mean, the women's division now is is really good, but man, Caron, Gina Carano is in the women's division would have been just a huge huge deal. Um, my fourth athlete, and we're going back to the '90s NBA. Um, I was I don't know if you know this, Dustin. I was I mean other than, in addition to being a red. Uh, Chicago Bulls fan. I love Jordan. Love the way yeah. I love that team. Those teams in the nineties. I was also a New Jersey Nets fan because that's when they were coming okay. to their own. Yeah. Uh, Derek Coleman, Drazen Petrovitz, Mary Meston. Oh Peace, yeah. Sherman Douglas, Chris Morris, those guys. Chuck Daly was actually the coach of the uh, Nets for two seasons after he retired, after he was let go or retired from the Pistons. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to see Dennis Rodman as a New Jersey net for the time that Chuck Daly was in New Jersey. Oh man! I remember the I remember the documentary. I remember from the Last Dance about yeah. how Dennis's career in Robin's career in Detroit just kind of went haywire after yeah. Chuck Daly left because mm -hmm. he didn't have anyone to. He didn't have a. He was that father figure that he was missing throughout his entire life. Yeah, and I would have loved to see the New Jersey Nets pick up Dennis Robin because I think that they would have. Instead of the New York Knicks, I think the New Jersey Nets would have challenged the new the Chicago Bulls for supremacy in the Eastern Conference during that period of the '90s, where the Knicks were starting to come up with the, with were starting to come in with uh, Pat Riley. Mm -hmm. um, but I think I I just think Dennis Rodman would have been he, he would have had Chuck Daly in his corner. Yeah, at every at every at every uh, disposal, he had the great shooting of Drazen Petrovic. He had the rebound, another rebounding threat with Derek Coleman, the Sherman Douglas playing the point, Chris Morris doing all the small forward things like a Scotty Pippen roll. I think they would have, they would have challenged the Bulls for mid '90s supremacy in the in the Eastern Conference in the NBA. Yeah, I mean Rodman. You hear you hear his teammates talk about how important he was. Mm -hmm. You know, even though they didn't always agree with Dennis in the way that he carried he carried himself, and and all the other kind of antics and things that he did around basketball, he's a rebounding machine and a high effort player. Mm -hmm. And 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 a lot of the former Bulls players and his former Pistons teammate are very. Um, complimentary and talk about just how important he was. So that would have been, that would have been something to see that man. I think it's just nostalgia, but anything having to do with like eighties, nineties NBA right now, I I'm into it. Yeah. You know, I'm watching it. I'm reading about it. I, I've read uh, a few of 
few years ago, I read Bill Simmons' book of basketball, and that kind of really got me in the mold of like wanting to go back and and check some things out. But I think nostalgia's hitting me big time right now. That that early '90s NBA pocket, we didn't we didn't realize what we had, man. Every every Saturday morning at eleven thirty, I would watch. In my teenage years, I would watch. NBA inside stuff with a oh, modern yeah, shot, the modern shot, yeah. and Willow Bay. I just had a crush on Willow Bay. <laughs> <laughs> Who didn't? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come on. All right, man. who's your who's your fourth uh, there, uh, Dustin? All right, now my fourth. This is a technicality, okay? And this is kind of this is kind of dovetailing into maybe a future topic on the show on this segment, um, but. And people are going to bark at me. They're going to say, well, he did play for them. But mine's more of uh, what if he had stayed? What if Wayne Gretzky never left the Oilers? How many more cups could they have won? How many more? How 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 much more dominant could they have been? Um, Wayne Gretzky is the one that it's the one that got away. And arguably, you could you could argue you could argue that it was better for the NHL that he left. And we and we've talked. There's been a documentary about it. We've also talked about it. It could mm-hmm. be uh, King's Ransom. Yeah, it 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 was arguably better for the NHL that he left. But selfishly, as an Oilers fan, you have to wonder what might have been. Um, so okay. that's even though he technically played for my team, it's more of a what if he stayed on those Edmonton Oilers because he was okay. still very young. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely a different uh, conversation for another uh, another day about what about sports, the great sports what ifs, and maybe yeah. we'll that next week. But uh, so, Dustin, coming to the conclusion of this segment, who is your fifth and final athlete who never played for your team? Oh, the fifth and final, the fifth and final athlete to me is maybe one of the biggest. It's maybe my biggest shot here out of it. And I've got some great ones on here. You've had some great ones. I can't believe I omitted Tony Gwynn. I, <laughs> I, I'll give myself, a, you know, a penalty after the show, two minutes in the box. But feel shame. Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders back there running for the Seahawks. I don't care what offensive line. He played in Detroit, okay? Mm-hmm. And, and, and for a lot of the, and yes, they did have some receivers and with the, with the Wayne, with the Wayne, uh, Wayne, Wayne Fontes years, they, they, they were an okay team. Okay. But he never had a quarterback and he, and they had some wide receivers and he was making magic out there all the mm-hmm. time. And, uh, as, as I remember Emmett Smith saying, um, on an episode of a football life, I'm watching a lot of like documentary tv whatever but emmett smith said we shut down it there was i think it was a 1991 playoff game between he between barry sanders and his detroit lions and emmett smith and his dallas cowboys yep that was that was a 91 divisional the divisional round yep and so emmett's sitting there he's saying you know we're kind of shutting down barry for the first half the team is feeling themselves and i told him he said i told him he's gonna get going all it takes is one for Barry, and it's going to be over. And he talks about a run where where Barry, uh, you know, there's a the, it was a sweep to the right. Yeah, and there was a yeah, <laughs> and there was a lineman, Tony. Uh, I'm trying to remember who who the lineman was, but he's looking to kind of see where Tony Casillas. Yes, Tony Casillas, 
and he's looking to see where Barry Sanders is. And Emmett and, and they stop the clip, and you see the guy like looking like this. And Emmett says, He's behind you, Tony. And then he said, <laughs> he said, uh, he made them look like straight up fools. And Barry Sanders did that to everybody. I would have loved to see him run wild in Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I got you there. I got you. There. I got you there. Yeah, that's for sure. All right. So my fifth and final athlete. Uh, I wish this defenseman would have played for the New Jersey Devils because if he had played for the New Jersey Devils, this would have been a straight up dynasty in the early two thousands. Ray Bork. Oh man, a New Jersey Devil. Oh, if. He, I, I remember this. The back in the 2001 season, uh, it was right after the Devils had won the, the, the cup in 2000. Boston was a dog's breakfast back then, and Ray Bork was just kind of stuck, you know, mm-hmm. in in playing in in uh in Boston. And I knew they were going to be sellers of the trade deadline. I'm thinking to myself, oh man, if Ray Bork would play for the Devils, they were gonna, they're going to win the Stanley Cup again. They're going to win the Stanley Cup again. Unfortunately. Colorado Avalanche. Yes, I was going to say charlatans. Those charlatans <laughs> swooped on in and picked up Ray Bork at the trade deadline, and the rest is history. Yeah. And if Ray Bork had gone to the Devils, Devils would have repeated. Devils would have won Game Six at home at the Meadowlands to beat Colorado or whoever they played that season to win their second straight t- state t- straight Stanley Cup, and. Which is fine. I mean, they, they won the Stanley Cup two years later in 2003. But man, if there, if Ray Bork wound up as a New Jersey Devil and won a Stanley Cup in New Jersey, I, I think he they would have built a statue for him outside the outside the Prudential Center uh, with him raising the Stanley Cup. Unfortunately, Colorado got him. They won, won the Stanley Cup, and yeah. you know, it's the rest is history. And that's and that's sad. That's very that's sad. sad. But I will, I will say, I mean, I remembered because I was like, yeah, he went to the ads and I'm sitting there and I'm I'm trying to remember. But who, who, who do you think hated the abs more? You as a Devils fan or those, uh, those, um, Red Wings fans? Because oh, Red Wings fans, hands down. I remember, oh man, those, those rivalry, that rivalry was intense for a minute there. That was, that was something. Yeah, I've, I've, we've had Captain, we've had my buddy Captain Lou from the Captain Lou Experience. Yes. Uh, he was, he absolutely just hates, despises the Colorado <laughs> Avalanche with a white hot burning passion. But yeah. we we covered the Brian Snow Show a couple weeks ago. I had him on on the Wednesday show, and we talked about we were doing a live reaction of the Hall of uh, Hockey Hall of Fame inductions, and Mike Vernon was inducted, and he was reminiscing about that 1997 season when when. Vernon went 16 and four in that postseason, which is unheard of. Yeah, that's unheard that's of. <laughs> unconscious. Un- only four losses in a single season, in a single postseason, which is insane. But he reminisced about the how about how the Red Wings got over the hump beating the Avalanche in the Western Conference final to get to the Stanley Cup final, and they swept philadelphia to win the stanley cup so yeah so yeah red wings red wings <laughs> fans hate the avalanche more than devil's fans yeah in 2001. yeah that's for uh, sure 
I do have just a couple of honorable mentions. I'll just list them real quick. John Elway, apparently the Seahawks were, there were discussions with the Seahawks about him possibly coming to play quarterback. That would have been something in that 83 draft. Um, This one is also, I wish he had stayed. Steve Nash, very early in Dirk's career, Steve Nash was on the Mavs. Mm -hmm. They, They had a budding friendship. They didn't really get to play together that long. I would have liked to see what they could have done together once Dirk became what he would become and once Steve Nash continued to do Steve Nash things. And once again, Jerry Rice, but a specific version. Yes, Jerry Rice did play for my Seahawks, but it was at the very much the end of his career. I would have loved to see Jerry suited up when he was in his prime. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Before we take our last commercial break, we're going to go to our comment section. Uh, Chris Deeds from Fifth Down Sports, who we talked about in the first yeah, segment. There we he go. Says, Just tuning in. Can't <laughs> wait to see and go back and see your take about Moneyball. I've already said it's the worst sports movie to me. Uh, right. he also talks about, we also talked about the Tony Gwynn. Strike season killed Tony Gwynn. He was on pace to break 400. Yeah, he inside indeed he was. Uh, did you hold – yes um, – when you were in the Louisville Slugger factory, did you hold the club Piazza use? Because it takes two people to lift that tree trunk. <laughs> I would argue the same thing for Babe Ruth's back. So I've seen Babe Ruth's bat in Cooperstown, and <laughs> that thing was a club. That was like that was like Cotton Caveman Club. Uh, 90 Shack Dallas ownership would have gone bankrupt sooner from broken backboards. Yeah, that was right before. <laughs> uh, that was right before. Uh, uh, right that was before, before Cuban, Cuban got in there. Got in there. Uh, he also says, "I met Gina Carano twice. Jealous. She's the nicest <laughs> person ever. Yeah, she seems like a sweetheart. So that's, yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> I guess part of the attraction, I guess, for me. <laughs> By the way, Gina, call me." <laughs> <laughs> Derek Coleman and Dennis Rodman would have killed each other in the locker room. Yeah, but here's the thing. Chuck Daly was the calming influence in yes. Dennis Rodman's life. He's the first one to actively, one of the first ones to believe in him as an athlete mm-hmm. and be the elite player that he could have, the, def- the elite defensive player that he was back in the 90s when he when he won all those uh, Defensive Player of the Year awards, particularly in 1991. Yeah, and that can't be that can't be overstated because look at another example, Customato and Mike Tyson. Mm-hmm. Look at look at look at Tyson's career when when Cus was his trainer. He kind of kept him on the you know he kind of kept him regulated. He kept he kept his eye on the prize. Once and Tyson himself has said once he lost once he lost Cus he didn't know what to do anymore. No, because he got because. Don King got his tentacles on him, and mm-hmm. the rest is history, unfortunately. Yeah. And then lastly, before we go to our last commercial break, Lawrence T- uh, Christie says, Lawrence Taylor, interestingly enough, when I met LT a few years ago, he said the team I always wanted to play with was the Dallas Cowboys. Giants fans in Connecticut weren't oh. happy, but I cheered. Chris Dietz is a uh, Dallas Cowboys fan, so yeah. uh, but he, uh, he, he, he said he would have loved to have LT on his team. All right, take our last commercial break, then we'll do some questions for humans or do a question for humans for human. Well, questions for humans, and we'll co- wrap up the show. So you're listening to No Credentials Required. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from No Credentials Required to talk to you about one of our newest partners at Belly Up Sports. 
SeatGeek. Yeah, live sports is great on television, but the feeling of being at the arena is a priceless experience. That's why our friends at SeatGeek are there to help you find the best tickets at the best prices. Not only can you get tickets to sporting events, we can also get tickets to concerts, comedy shows, musicals, and more. Search for your desired event now at SeatGeek.com, enter promo code BELLYUPSPORTS at checkout, and you save 20 bucks off your first purchase. SeatGeek. Life's an event. We have the tickets. That's right, folks. Belly Up Sports has SeatGeek as one of their primary as one of their affiliate sponsors. You get twenty percent off fifty dollars with the promo code Belly Up Sports. The NHL, I tell you, the NHL, the NFL is coming. Major League Baseball is in full effect. NBA hasn't released their schedule yet, but the NHL just released their 2023-2024 schedule. I've got my eye on a particular game in January, January fourth. That's when the Devils play the Chicago Blackhawks with first round pick, first round pick, first round overall pick, uh, Connor Bedard. I'm kind of excited to see what he can do in the NHL. So I've got my eye, I've got my calendar circled for that one. So I'm going to look up seats on SeatGeek.com. I'm going to use promo code Belly Up and get 20% off my, you know, 20% off my first order or $20 off my first order of 50 bucks. Go to a game in New Jersey. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Why not? The man's planning ahead. You'll be ready to go. <laughs> Got that right. So $20 off your first order of $50. Promo code is BellyUpSports. All right, Dustin. Time to play some questions for humans. Guys, night edition. I've got my card right here. Ready to go. All Hopefully right. I got a fun one. Unlike last week when you, when you, when you asked me what was the last time I cried. I know, I know. <laughs> and then, and then when you, like you, get the, when, you get the fun one, I got the deep one. I'm like, I know, I know. And then, and then when you, when you actually answered it, that's why, because I was like, oh, we can get a veto. We get one veto. But when you actually answered it, I was like, all right, I got to pony up. I got to answer right. as well. All right. <laughs> all right. So my question from the questions for humans, guys, night card pack. What's the best book you've read recently? Oh, the best book I've read recently. I don't read as much as I would like to. That's that's a habit that I'm looking to change. But I would say the best book that I've read recently, and this this shows that I don't read as much as I used to. Um, Dave Grohl's autobiography. Um, mm. Very good. Very good. Full disclosure, I am a huge Nirvana fan, but I would say, and nothing against the Foo Fighters, I, I like... I like some of their songs, but I would say that I'm more of a Dave Grohl fan than a Foo Fighters fan. But his autobi- autobiography, very good. Um, a little thin on his time in Nirvana, uh, thinner than I would have liked, but I can understand why. It's mm. probably been done to death. Um, but he talks about his childhood growing up in in. In Virginia, he talks about a lot, a lot about his early touring days with a DC hardcore band called Scream, which was what <laughs> he was in before Nirvana. Um, and then a little bit about his time in Nirvana, but he mostly talks about buying a house in Seattle with that Nirvana money. And there's, it's just, it's got the Dave Grohl humor, but he also gets serious. He also talks to. The book kind of meanders all over the place. His thoughts on drumming, whether he, whether he, uh, how he would react when he thought his daughters um, would want to get into drumming, how he would teach them if if that happened. Spoiler: one of them does decide to try to get into drumming. Um, 
and just how he views his life as trying to be a musician and also a family man. And, and to me, it was just a very good read. I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. Even if you are not a fan of Nirvana or the Foo Fighters, I would say pick up that book because there's a lot of things in there. Okay. All right. And what about you? If you would like to answer that one. So, so like yourself, I don't read as much as I ought to. Um, when I was uh, when we were on vacation at our banks, I was reading. Uh, I was reading a book by. Um, special teams coordinator for the jets back in the day. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Mike Westoff, Mike Westoff. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, figure it out. I was reading his, that was his full story about how is he got into football. He got into coaching his cancer surgery. Um, interesting, in, interesting, interesting story about his cancer surgery. What they did was that what he had to do was that they had removed his femur, replaced it with a steel rod that kind of had taken place of a femur. Cause that is femur uh, is left femur because that's where the cancer was. Oh, so geez. it was really interesting. Um, so I haven't finished that book yet. I got to finish that book and maybe, well, unfortunately he won't be able to, won't be able to take media requests because he's now with the Denver Broncos. Um, but, uh, but no, um, but I've been getting into more into audiobooks lately mm-hmm. because it, cause I listen to, I would listen to it if I'm doing cardio at the gym or I listen to it while mowing the lawn or do it or snowblowing the yard, snowblowing the driveway. One book I just completed recently that I really, really loved. Uh, it's by one of my favorite political com- political commentators who, but I've also gotten into his uh, fiction novels and his memoir uh, called, it's called, it's by Andrew Clavin and it's called The Truth and the Beauty. And what he does in this book is that he links the, the connection between Christianity and classic English literature. Okay. And super fascinating. It's just super fascinating to hear the story, the stories of certain authors uh, English authors and uh, how they met their how they what happened to them and uh, there's this one story about a party between a failing English painter who thought he was the greatest painter in the world, uh, uh, Keats, uh, author Keats, Words, uh, the poet Keats, Wordsworth, and one other one other poet I I can't remember his name but. Like he just links all these authors and all these stories together and like try to and and, and weaves in the story of Jesus Christ in uh, in with the with these authors. And it's really interesting and, he, and he's and Andrew Clem is the one who narrates the book. So Oh, okay. Um, I also really enjoyed his memoir The Great Good Thing, uh, which he also reads which he also reads. I have to pick up his Christmas uh mystery. Yes, there's a Christmas mystery. Oh man. And the main character of the book is called is named Cameron Winter. So I have to pick up the Cameron Winter trilogy. I haven't read that book yet, but I gotta check that out. But yeah, the great um, the truth the truth and the truth and the truth and the beauty by Andrew Clavin. I, I really thoroughly enjoyed that uh, the, the reading of that book. I have to listen to it again. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a great it's a great listen. And, you know, I listen to it again during car rides. I listen to it during my cardio sessions at the gym, and just and, and while I was doing yard work. So it was a really fascinating book, fascinating uh, telling of the interweaving between Christianity and English literature. It was mm-hmm. really great. I, really yeah, I like that title too. That's a great title. Yeah. And what's interesting is that the, when I was at Regent university, one of the courses was, there was a cl- course called the truth and the beauty. And I wanted to take it. Unfortunately, it was an elective, but unfortunately I couldn't, get in could never get in i could never get into that class (laughs) yeah that's that's the tough part about college is sometimes you got those classes that you just know are going to be filled up yeah 
Um, you know, back in the day, I had to take this for my major. You can all say what you want. I majored in music industry at a very fine institution, SUNY Oneonta. And as part of my major, I had to take a class called the history of rock and roll. Now the difference is I needed this for my major. Yeah. Do you know how many, how many people signed up? Cause they're like, Oh, this is an elective and it looks cool. It's, I could it's, not get into the history of rock and roll. It took me three, took me four semesters. <laughs> it's like the history of ice cream class at, at uh, Greenbelt Community College. Yeah. Community. History yeah. of ice cream. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Your turn for the question. Hopefully it's a fun one. Not deep. All right. Well, it's decidedly better than the one you got. Uh, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Do you believe in ghosts? Why or why not? Ooh. I wouldn't say necessarily ghosts, Mm -hmm. but I do believe in spirits. And Mm -hmm. I'll tell you why. So, I mean, obviously I come from a faith background, as as I just basically told about uh, the book I just recently enjoyed. Um, I do believe that whether it be our deceased parents our parents whether they're alive or deceased or grandparents or a distant relative who or a relative who passed away i i do seem i i i do hear every so often like decisions in my head going in my head in their voices like mm-hmm. i could i could i could i can tell i can tell when my dad's in my dad's voice when he's speaking to me and in, in, in my, in my thoughts, I can tell him my grandfather, my, my pop-up when he's speaking to me in my head, my grandpa McCarthy, who I didn't, who unfortunately he passed away when I was 13. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still hear his voice because his voice is very similar to mine yeah. <laughs> and to my dad's. Um, <laughs> sometimes I hear, I'll hear my Nana. Sometimes I'll hear grandma McCarthy. Sometimes I'll hear my uncle bud who was a world war two veteran. Um, I'll hear different voices of, passed on relatives in my and my in my narratives in my head mm-hmm. so not like i guess i'm not necessarily given ghosts but i do believe in spirits i do believe that the, the spirit of your of your of your of your departed lives inside you somehow and every once in a while in the, well, the different narratives that go on it, they speak to you they speak to you in your in your head so so that kind of is kind of a kind of a roundabout way of saying yes but also a roundabout way of saying no yeah yeah and what about what about you what about you dustin i would say i would say in a similar answer to you i think i do believe in ghosts and i believe in 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 things of that nature um luckily to my knowledge i haven't had a run-in with a ghost or anything but similar to your answers i do believe in in spirits and and certain things of that nature because there are just too many things that have happened um to me and in my life that i would consider uh okay there's something out there and i i remember and and not to get not to get too sad but this is this is the most recent one that i remember or or i shouldn't say the most recent but it's it was the most impactful and honestly, I'll probably end up with a with a tattoo um, because of it. But long story short, when my mother was in hospice, she told my sister, "I'm becoming a butterfly." You know, it was one of those things we mm-hmm. and we and we didn't know if she was 
if she was drugged up or, or whatever, but she was adamant to my sister. She said, I'm becoming a butterfly. Unbeknownst to us at the time when somebody passed on at the, at the hospice that she was at, they would put a blue butterfly on their door. So then it just be kind of became this, this, um, and we were like, wow, mom said that before anything happened, uh, it's crazy. So, uh, we were, my, uh, my sister and some of my family, we were talking about the blue butterfly and its significance. Now mine's a little different than that, but very recently after she passed away, I was really struggling. And I, and I said to her, I, I, I just like spoke aloud one night and I said, mom, I need something because your boy is really struggling. And the next day I went to mow the lawn and there was a blue dragonfly that flew next to me for, I would say half the lawn that I mowed. And it was crazy. Like I would go up, I would go up and turn around and it would go up and turn around. And I firmly believe that that was like, that was her calling out to me being like, Hey, you know, I'm still here. Things are going to be okay. You know, whatever, whatever she was trying to tell me in that moment. But to me, it is too coincidental that I, that I straight up asked. And then the next day that blue, that blue dragonfly, not a blue butterfly. I know now, if you talk to my sister, she's had plenty of blue butterfly moments, Mm -hmm. but for me, I feel like it's that dragonfly for me. Yeah. Um, I do. I I do remember uh, you or Tracy saying that uh, you, you, when, when, I, and now I, I see it whenever whenever I see a dragonfly I do think about your mom same yeah. with cardinals because I remember the day at your sister's wedding uh, there was a between squall between snow squalls oh yeah yeah <laughs> and he, uh, Nick was sitting in your and uh, Nick was sitting your brother-in-law Nick was setting up a, a propane uh, heater outside yeah I remember I remember taking pictures of them outside. And I remember Tracy saying, oh, there's a cardinal. There's a cardinal right there. And whenever I see a cardinal, I there's two people I think about when I see a cardinal. I think about my pop-up. Yeah. I think about your mother. Yeah. Whenever I see a cardinal. So yeah, that's that's yeah. definitely a definitely a thing about uh people's presence being around, you know, in different things, like yeah, you know, an insect or an animal or something we see. Like I'm a Yankee fan because my pop-up was a Yankee fan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's a big reason why. So yeah. So yeah, so yeah, it's a definitely uh things to remind us of people who've passed on and those are two things that remind us of people who've passed on. Yeah. Yeah, and I think generally the the question question was a little more fun this week from me, so yeah. I'm glad about that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to actually wrap things up with this episode of No Credentials Required. Again, you can find us on our social medias down here below, Twitter, Instagram, and the scarcely used TikTok. It's at NoCredsREQ, Facebook.com forward slash NoCredsREQ, YouTube.com forward slash at NoCredsREQ. We're on our way to try to get 500 subscribers. So if you're not subscribed, subscribe to the channel. And always, as always, if you're watching on Facebook or on YouTube, smash that like button. Smash it responsibly. On the podcast side, you can listen on a myriad of podcast platforms and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Spreaker, Google Play, iHeart, tune in wherever you podcast. You can also rate and review. Five stars is always a proper rating. And if you leave us a review, we might even read it on the air. So 
For my co-chair, Dustin Henry, my name is Ryan McCarthy. You have been watching or listening to No Credentials Required, where you don't need a press pass to talk sports. We are presented by Belly Up Sports and associated with, with Godzilla Media, in association with Godzilla Media. We want to thank you for watching or if you're listening. And we'll see you next week. We'll have another summer movie review of No Ticket Required. And we'll do some more lists and we'll do some more questions for Humans Guys Night Edition. So we'll see you next week. Take care. Good night, everybody.